absolutely changed the word for that, right? Because we're unity. So, but, but the words from the song, nonetheless, you know, that idea of from the distance, you know, in unity we have uh, an understanding of God is all that is. Remember that, that face of God that is all that is in which we live and breathe and move and have our being. And that's that great big vision of God, right? That from a distance that we can gain perspective of what's happening here and then we come within, within to that within God, that Christ-like that is within us. And then we move it here in unity to not only stopping there, but then we become that, right? And that's really what our series is about, you know, that we began in January on the Peace Pilgrim, the life of the Peace Pilgrim, one humanity, many stories, and our story that we've begun the year with is the story of the Peace Pilgrim who had that big vision, that big vision of world peace, that big vision of world disarmament, that big vision of a peace uh, department, you know, in the, in the United Nations, that big vision that we could all be in harmony with each other and then bringing it down to within, the within vision, the inner peace vision, recognizing and realizing that the only way we will see it out there in the world is when we finally claim it for ourselves within us. So we've been talking about the steps towards inner peace, and we've looked at the preparations, the preparations like assuming a right attitude towards life. Did you all claim your attitude today? What are you here to be? You're claiming it every day. Who am I going to show up? How am I going to show up today? What's my attitude for this day, right? And then living into the good beliefs. And if you don't know the good beliefs to live into, it can be as simple as our five principles, right? God is the only power and the only presence, and that power and presence is within me. And I am creating this life through the activity of my mind. And with God, I can commune and pray and meditate so that I can clear my mind to create rightly in life, right? And then we have to put it into practice. That would be enough for a lifetime. Or the belief that I'm to love God and love my neighbor, that would be enough for a lifetime to live into those good beliefs. And as we do so, we experience that place of inner peace. To find our place in the life pattern. Have you understood yet that you are unique? There is no one else in this entire universe that is just like you. Well, I'm hearing that, right? Oh, thank goodness. And we laugh about that, right? Thank goodness, yeah. And it's true. We don't want everybody to be, you know, these cookie-cutter people. We want to shine in our individuality. So find who you are in this place of life and live into that and then simplify your life, right? Releasing, letting go of that which you don't need any longer, simplifying your life. And then we moved into the um, uh, purification. This purification, you'll remember, is removing the contaminants from, right? So purifying first our mind and our body. And that fits so beautifully in Unity's teachings, which are so much about understanding the thoughts that we're holding in mind and recognizing and realizing how it impacts our physical structure as well as our life. I had a self-care class this week, and out of my mouth came an idea that I don't know where it came from. Does that ever happen to you? And it was this idea as we were in prayer that the way that I treat my body is the degree to which I believe that I am divine. Think about that. Right? 
and purify everything that is out of alignment with that divinity that you are. Purify your mind and your body. And then last week we talked about purifying your motives and your desires, getting really clear that nothing out here will fulfill you. That you'll find fulfillment within. Right? So aligning your desire with that divine mind consciousness. And so today, we move into the relinquishments. There are four relinquishments, four things that we need to release, to let go of in order to experience this inner peace. And so we're starting with the relinquishment of self-will and uh, separation. Right? So I'm going to read to you, as I have been, from our little booklet. If you've not picked one up, be sure to do so. They're still available on the table in the back. And I am going to be reading from page 11, if you have it and you want to follow along. Peace tells us, now the last part. These are the relinquishments. Once you've made the first relinquishment, you have found inner peace because it's the relinquishment of self-will. You can work on this by refraining from doing any not good thing that you may be motivated toward, but you never suppress it. If you are motivated to do or say a mean thing, you can always think a good thing. You deliberately turn around and use that same energy to do and say a good thing. Instead, it works. The second relinquishment is the relinquishment of the feeling of separateness. We begin feeling very separate and judging everything as it relates to us, as though we were the center of the universe. Even after we know better intellectually, we still judge things that way. In reality, of course, we are all cells in the body of humanity. We are not separate from our fellow humans. The whole thing is a totality. It's only from that higher viewpoint that you can know what it is to love your neighbor as yourself. From that higher viewpoint, there becomes just one realistic way to work, and that is for the good of the whole. As long as you work for your selfish little self, you're just one cell against all those other cells, and you're way out of harmony. But as soon as you begin working for the good of the whole, you find yourself in harmony with all of your fellow human beings. You see, it's the easy and harmonious way to live. Relinquishment of self-will and separation. So I wanted to start with the idea of the relinquishment of separation, because I think it's when we believe in this idea of separation that we can even have an idea that there is a self-will, right? A, a separate will against the greater whole. And so to begin with this idea of separation, and I was thinking about that we, this week, and I journeyed back, you know, all the way to the story that we find in the book of Genesis, the allegory of creation, right? When We were created, and everything was created from that light that God created in the beginning. And each time that creation was coming into existence, God called it good and very good. And it is in this way that humankind was created, you'll recall. And then, you'll recall the story goes on in the allegory that Adam and Eve, right? Eve, tempted by that. She eats of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as she did so, suddenly her eyes were opened, right? And Adam's eyes were opened. And from my perspective, what this story is talking about is our fall into the illusion of duality. This world 
in which we live, in which it seems like there isn't this wholeness. There's this separateness. There's this duality consciousness that has arisen, and it is a seed that has been planted in human consciousness from the time that we began, right? That we look out into the world and we see ourselves as separate beings. As soon as we believed in the idea of duality, of good and evil, of up and down, of hot and cold, of light and dark, in that moment, we also believed in separation and that we could be separate from that presence of God. Now, I know that this is really deep in our collective consciousness, this idea, and it starts really young. I mean, my granddaughter, Zoe, who is three, totally gets this concept. By two years old, you could say, you know, we, were, we would be talking about hot and cold, and I could say, Zoe, what is that? And without a doubt, she'd go, opposite, right? And to this day, I can ask her, so what are some opposites? And she can list off a bunch, right? We, we just learn this. It's part of life. And there's nothing wrong with learning that. Where we run into problems is when we think that those opposites are individual and complete unto themselves, right? Like, There is hot and there is cold. And we forget that, no, there is just oneness, wholeness. And hot and cold are simply different aspects of that wholeness. But we're not taught about that wholeness. We're taught about the separation instead. We're taught about the duality instead. So we have learned that there is this God that is out there and there is us. And somehow, some way, we are separate from that divine power and presence. Did anybody learn that as you were young, growing up, right? And we had to reconcile ourselves back to that oneness. Except that our, our teacher, our way show, or Jesus, didn't really talk in those terms. He taught us that the Father and I are one. Over and over again, the Father and I are one. And he, he was our example, right? He, he taught us the way of living into that idea of oneness, of demonstrating that divinity that's within us, that in unity we call the Christ. As long as we believe that we are separate from that divine power and presence, then we'll always think that there must be God's will and there must be my will, because there's separation, I mean, we're taught that we have free will, which means that we can create outside of divine will. Isn't that what we've been taught? That's what duality has created within our experience of living in human consciousness here. But unity's first principle, who remembers? What is unity's first principle? There is only God, right? And God is good, right? And as good, the desire, the will for us is that we all experience our good. Where we get confused is what that good is, right? Again, I can go back to last week, the purification of our desires and motives. When we are a separate self, we begin to think selfish thoughts and begin to think in terms of what's in it for me and what's good for me, and we forget about that whole, right? And we begin to think that there's something out there that I want and that I will that will finally fill up this emptiness that I'm feeling within. And we pursue those things through our self-will. 
And we find that it doesn't lead to what we're looking for. Because God's desire for us is that we experience our good. And if we're not experiencing our good within, if we don't feel that sense of peace, of joy, of well-being within us, it simply means that we have misaligned ourselves somehow, believing ourselves to be separate from that divine power and presence. I don't think religion has necessarily helped us to align our wills with God's will. And I'll just speak from personal experience. Because I go back to the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is there praying, knowing what's coming. And what does he say? Right? Because, but nonetheless, not my will, but thy will. And then what happens? He's arrested and crucified, right? And so in my human mind, there's this idea that if I give myself over to divine mind and to divine will, what is in store for me? Because look what happened to Jesus when he did that. Anybody ever have that thought? Yeah. And so the first thing that we have to do is we have to, you know, relinquish that idea that, that God could want for us to suffer. Because that's what we've been taught with the illusion of duality, that God is something separate from us who desires something separate than our good. So if that wasn't God's will, right? If God doesn't want us to suffer, then what's the whole story about? So Jesus taught us the way of the Christ. And that the way of the Christ is the will of God. And so from my perspective, we are all going to be walking through this human experience and experiencing things that bring us to the place of suffering. Has anybody here been exempt from suffering? But what he gave to us was the way to walk through that suffering, the way of God's will that would ease that suffering and bring us back to that place of peace of well-being, of love. And so, from my perspective, God's will was not that Jesus be crucified. That isn't what Jesus was praying about in that garden. He was praying for the strength and the courage and the awareness to walk through whatever the suffering was in the way of Christ. And as he walked through that crucifixion experience, he showed us about how we can give ourselves over to that will of God and experiencing that will of God through the suffering will ease the suffering. So what was the way of Christ that Jesus demonstrated through that crucifixion? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And how many times in our separateness and our judgment do we not go there? Right? I know they're wrong. Not, Father, forgive them. I know not, they know not what they do. But let me prove to you how wrong you are. Right? So forgiveness. Get out of the judgment. Get out of the blame. Get out of the victimhood and Simply whatever it is that you are walking through, give yourself over to the will of God and forgive. What else did Jesus demonstrate? Yeah, at least. Yeah.
So through the walking of it, he remembered his oneness with the Father. The Father and I are one. And yes, he had a moment, right? At least we're told that one of his last words was, um, why have you forsaken me, right? But he still came back through that. We have our moments, don't we, where we forget? And then we come back and breathe and remember the way of Christ is the way of remembering that we are one with the Father and we breathe into that and remember nothing can truly harm us. Nothing can truly impact us because I am one with that divine power and presence that is God and God is good. In spite of appearances to the contrary of whatever I'm walking through. So we give ourselves over to that remembering. Anything else that you recall from that walk? The way that he showed us of aligning our will with God's will in that moment? Compassion. Compassion. Remember up on the cross and and his mother was there and, 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 and here mother is your son and son, here is your mother and there was compassion. There was compassion for, for the ones that had done this to him. There was compassion within him. So I think when Jesus was in the garden praying, not my will but thy will be done, I think he was aware that that human capacity that we have is one of victimhood, it's one of blame, it's one of unforgiveness, it's one of doubt, it's one of fear, it's one of worry, it's one of control. That's the human experience that comes from this place of believing in separation. And he recognized and realized he could easily go into that in this walk that he was going to be making. But he prayed, not my will, not my will, but thy will. Let me remain centered in the awareness and the knowing that you are here with me and your strength is uplifting me. Right? Your love is moving through me. Your wisdom is guiding this walk. And as he did that, his will aligned with God's will. And he then was able to perfectly demonstrate through that experience what it is to live in Christ's consciousness. And that's our example. That's our way. And that's what Peace Pilgrim is calling us to. Let go of this idea that we are separate from one another. Recognize and realize that we are all one. Recognize and realize that the world doesn't see things that way. And so we can have arguments in the world about what's mine and what's yours. We can have arguments in the world about, you know, countries and borders and walls and boundaries. We can go to war with one another about these human ideas that arise from this place of separation and lack and limitation, forgetting that we are one and we are whole. But you and I, as ones who are called to demonstrate this Christ consciousness, are called to stand up in our truth and to purify and to relinquish every thought of separation, every thought of self-will. And you know what? The world will probably tell you you're wrong. And they'll argue with you about why we need our separateness and our division. But I'm telling you that if we want to reveal the kingdom of heaven here on earth, it is not some pie-in-the-sky idea. It is about living it here and now, individually, in our lives. And as we do so, we will find that place of inner peace within our hearts. 
And this, this is what the Peace Pilgrim calls us to. So I'm clear, I'm aware. Other than going out and voting and, you know, maybe doing some things there, that really what the world does, the wars and the arguments and the policies and all of that, I don't have a whole lot of control over. And I can get frustrated by that. Or I can pause and recognize and realize if we're all one, then I am one with the consciousness of humanity. And what I love about unity is that it empowers us to realize that as we heal our own individual consciousness, that we then heal the consciousness of that humanity. So as we heal the idea of separation, of lack and limitation within our own thoughts, within our own minds, within our own hearts, we impact the collective consciousness. This is what the Peace Pilgrim was teaching us. And this is why she felt it was so important for each of us to find that place of inner peace. Unfortunately for me and for you, we have an abundance of opportunities to practice. Right? An abundance. And so that's what we're going to do this week. We're going to practice with one another. And so our practice this week is to become aware every time you are motivated to think, speak, or act in a way that promotes separation and judgment. My guess is for some of us, that opportunity will arise ten minutes from now. My guess is for most of us, that opportunity will arise before the end of the day. Because it's the way we've been conditioned. So we can overcome our conditioning. We can enter into that way of the Christ. And we can deliberately choose again. In unity, we are taught that will is one of our powers, one of our 12 powers, and that the power of will is our ability to choose. And that we all have the ability to choose. We can choose to follow the self-centered, egotistic, separate way. Or we can choose to follow the way of oneness, of love, of compassion, of understanding, of life, of light, of Christ. We get to choose. And so when we become aware that we have chosen incorrectly, we can simply choose again. Deliberately choose again and use that same energy to think, speak, or act in a way that promotes harmony, oneness, and peace. Remember what she said in that little reading. If you find yourself ready to speak out negatively, just change your mind and use that same energy. Don't stuff it down, but use that same energy to turn it around and speak in a way that's powerful, affirming, uplifting, positive. You get to choose, and I get to choose. Will you choose with me this week? And think about what would it mean if I aligned my will with God's will. What does that look like for you and for I? And as we each discover what that means and make the choice for good, we will see the good demonstrated in this world. More importantly, you will find that place of inner peace in your heart, no matter what is happening around. And that truly is good news. Be blessed.